that night so long ago beneath the shining star love came down from heaven and folks came from afar hope filled every spirit empty hearts were filled with joy angels sang hallelujah go tell it every girl and boy oh what a wonderful baby scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. 
When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what, they, what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Over the last month, we have prepared to celebrate the birth of Jesus by exploring the meaning of Christmas in some popular Christmas movies. We've looked at scenes from Miracle on 34th Street, It's a Wonderful Life, Dr. Seuss, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and Elf. This morning, we're going to look for the real meaning of Christmas through the lens of a familiar story that has been adapted for the screen more than two dozen times. Starting in 1901 with a six-minute black-and-white silent film. Today we'll be looking at some clips from one of the more recent versions. Starring Jim Carrey, the 2009 Disney production of A Christmas Carol. Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol in December of 1843. It was released on the 19th of December, and the first printing sold out in four days. Dickens authored A Christmas Carol as a way of trying to inspire and challenge the people of Great Britain to understand the connection between the birth of Christ and kindness and compassion and care for those who are poor, those who are on the margins, those who are struggling to get by. In Dickens' day, Children as young as five years old were working in coal mines and factories. He saw people who were struggling financially, who were sent to debtors' prisons, as his own father had been, or who were working under terrible conditions. And yet, there were people totally oblivious to this. His hope was that this short novel would touch the hearts of people and show them the link between Christmas and human compassion, kindness, and mercy. You remember the name of the main character in the story? Ebenezer Scrooge. What an interesting name. And of course, you know the way he expresses how he feels about Christmas in two words. Very good. You know, you can find the word Scrooge in several English dictionaries, defined as a mean or a miserly person. 
We're going to meet Ebenezer Scrooge with the help of a clip from the film. It's Christmas Eve, and Scrooge's nephew, Fred, pays a call that helps reveal Scrooge's perspective on Christmas. Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you. Bah, humbug. Christmas humbug? Uncle, you don't mean that. Merry Christmas. What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough. What right have you to be so gentle? You're rich enough. Humbug! Don't be cross, Uncle. What else can I be when I live in such a world of fools as this? Merry Christmas. What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older and not a penny richer. If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Uncle! Nephew! Keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it? But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then. Much good it has ever done you... There are many things from which I have derived good and have not profited. Christmas being among them. But I've always thought of Christmas as a kind, charitable time. The only time when men open their shut-up hearts and think of all people as fellow travellers to the grave and not some other race of creatures bound on other journeys. And therefore, uncle, although it has never put a strap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe it has done me good and I say God bless it! Let me hear another sound out of you, Cratchit, and you'll keep Christmas by losing your situation. As the story unfolds, we witness Scrooge's transformation, his redemption. As on that fateful Christmas Eve, he is visited by three spirits, messengers, Angels, if you will, ghosts, representing Christmas's past, present, and future. The first visitor shows Scrooge scenes from his childhood, and he was a happy child. Then, year by year, he relives painful experiences from his youth. In another scene as a young adult, He's dancing with a young woman with whom he's falling in love. You think there's hope for young Scrooge as he and his beloved are engaged to be married. But then he struggles with his priorities. Let's take a look. Another idol has replaced me. Another idol? What idol? golden one. There is nothing on this earth more terrifying to me than a life doomed to poverty. May I ask why do you condemn with such severity the honest pursuit of substance? You fear the world too much, Anisa. Changed. Changed? Perhaps grown wiser. But I have not changed toward you. Our contract is an old one. It was made when we were both poor and content to be so. When it was made 
You are another man. I was a I release you, Ebenezer. Have I ever sought release? In words, no. In what then? In an altered spirit. In another atmosphere of life. In everything that made my love of any worth in your sight. We all change over time, don't we? All living things change. Healthy living things grow and mature physically, emotionally, spiritually. As children of God and followers of Jesus, we are in the process of being transformed into the person God created us to be. The Wesleyan theological term for that process is sanctification, growth in love, in grace, in kindness, and compassion. Truly, we are designed to become ever more Christ-like. So let me pause and ask a question for you to ponder. How are you progressing in your lifelong spiritual journey of sanctification. As you look back over this year, on the last Sunday of 2019, how are you progressing toward becoming the person God created you to be? Are you more patient now than you were at the beginning of the year? Are you more kind, more gracious, more loving today than you were a year ago or five years ago? And do you desire to be even more so at this time next year? I have known people who professed to be Christian and yet over time became more narrow-minded, more hardened, more easily angered as compared with more open-minded, gracious, and kind. We can clearly see the direction that Scrooge's life is taking. But part of what I love most about this story is that Scrooge, though he is now an old man whose life has been going in the wrong direction for years, is still not beyond redemption. That's certainly a message from the very heart of the gospel. We read in Luke Chapter 19, verse 10. The Son of Man, that is Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. In the words of one of the songs we sang during our Blue Christmas Longest Night services, 
written by David Haas and based on passages from Psalm 46, Isaiah 43, and John 14. Do not be afraid. I am with you. I have called you each by name. Come and follow me. I will bring you home. I love you, and you are mine. No one is outside the range of God's forgiving grace. No one is beyond the reach of God's redemptive love. No one, not even Scrooge. That brings us to Scrooge's second visitor that Christmas Eve, the ghost of Christmas present. Together they fly over the rooftops of London to one of the poorest neighborhoods of the city. There they look in on the Christmas dinner table of a family of Scrooge's lone employee, Bob Cratchit. As Bob left work on Christmas Eve, Scrooge lectured him on why he shouldn't have to pay him to be home on Christmas Day. Now, for the first time, Scrooge is seeing the Cratchit family in their own home, and he learns something he hadn't known before. Let's watch. No, 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 there's father coming. Hide, mother. You must hide. Hide, mother. <laughs> it's cold out there. Hello, father. Hello, Timmy. Hi, where's our Martha? Uh, not coming. Not coming? Well, not coming upon Christmas Day. Here I am, Father! <laughs> <laughs> we got you, Father! I couldn't bear to see you in a state of disappointment, dearest Father. If only for a giggle. It's so lovely to see you, my heart. <laughs> Come on, Timmy. I hear the pudding singing in the cupboard. Shall we have a look, then? Artie, little Timmy behind. As good as gold. And better. Somehow he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much and he thinks the strangest things you ever heard. He told me coming home that he hoped the people saw him in church because he was a cripple. And it might make pleasant for them to remember upon Christmas Day who made laybeggers walk and blind men's seat. I believe he, he grows more hearty and stronger every day. A toast 
Tell Mr. Scrooge, the founder of our feast. Ha! Founder of the feast, indeed. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and I'd hope he'd have a good appetite for it. My dear, you children. It's Christmas Day. Yeah, Christmas Day, I'm sure. How can one do me of such an odious, stingy, hard, unfeeling man as Mr. Scrooge? You know he is, Robert. Nobody knows it better than you. My dear, Christmas Day. I'll drink his health for your sake, and the day's not for his. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. You'll be very merry and very happy, I have no doubt. A Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. God bless us. God bless us. God bless us. Everyone. <laughs> a Merry Christmas. Kind spirit. Say Tiny Tim will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. Die? No, spirit. No. What then? If he is to die, he had better do it. And decrease the surplus population. What's happening to Scrooge? His heart is beginning to beat like a human heart again. For the first time in maybe half a century, he cares for someone other than himself. His indifference is wearing off, and suddenly he begins to feel compassion and concern for Tiny Tim. This is the beginning of his transformation. One of the things Dickens wanted readers to understand was God's compassion and concern for the people on the margins of society. We see this throughout the scriptures, and we see it particularly in the Christmas story. Matthew tells us about the wise men who come from the east with their expensive gifts. But the passage that Gary read earlier from Luke's Gospel gives a very different portrayal of the Christmas story. We hear from Luke that Jesus is born in a stable because there is no room in the inn. Born in a first-century parking garage where the donkeys and the other animals ate and slept. His first bed was a feeding trough for the livestock. I think that Luke emphasized the humble circumstances of the birth of God's Son because we are meant to understand that he is at home among the marginalized in this world. Jesus spent so much time during his ministry with the nobodies, and the outcasts. And one of the ways that we can determine if we are becoming more Christ-like 
if our journey of sanctification is progressing in the right direction, is to ask ourselves if our hearts are broken by the same things that break God's heart. In Dickens' story, Scrooge's heart was broken, opened up by his caring and compassion and concern for Tiny Tim. And once his heart was broken open, it could be transformed. Scrooge has one last visitor, the most frightening of them all, the ghost of Christmases yet to come. He shows Scrooge scenes of a future if things remain unchanged. He glimpses unhappy endings for Tiny Tim and himself. And those ominous portents are enough to shake Scrooge to his very foundation. He promises to turn his life around, to honor Christmas in his heart, and to keep it all the year. Scrooge woke up on Christmas morning a changed man. For the first time in decades, he could laugh. His heart felt generous, and he wanted to give and help other people. He could dance. He could even sing. Take a look. I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still here. I don't know what to do. Late is a feather. Merry is a schoolboy. I've heard that laugh before. Mrs. Dilber, Merry Christmas! Mr. 
farthing less. A great many back payments are included in it. I assure you. My dear sir, I, I don't know what to say to such a Don't say anything. I'm much obliged to you. Many thanks to you. What a change, huh? To see Scrooge singing and dancing and giving. Those are all marks of a life transformed. And it's interesting to think about the name that Charles Dickens chose for the central character in the story. Ebenezer Scrooge. Scrooge just sounds nasty. But why did he choose as the Christian name Ebenezer? If you spent much time in church, you may recall a line from the second verse of the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, in which we sing, Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither By thy help, I'm come. What the heck is an Ebenezer? Ebenezer is a combination of two Hebrew words. Eben, which is a stone, and Ezer, one who comes alongside to help another. And Ebenezer is a stone of help. In 1 Samuel 7, verse 12, we read how after the Israelites had been delivered from the Philistines by God's power and grace, Samuel the prophet set up a stone monument to mark the site where God helped the people. He named it Ebenezer. I like to think that Dickens chose the name Ebenezer to suggest that his character had been helped by God, redeemed by God's grace, in the hope that his story, A Christmas Carol, might help point others in the right direction toward becoming caring, compassionate, even Christ-like people. The central figure in Dickens' story had been a Scrooge, but he became an Ebenezer, a reminder of God's help, God's compassion, God's love, an instrument God used to bring hope and help and healing. To other people. Would you like to see how the story ends? Okay. 
<laughs> Full 16 minutes late. What do you mean by coming here at this time of day? I'm very sorry, sir. I am a bit behind on my time. You are indeed. Step in here. Well, it's only once a year, sir. It should not be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday. Now, I'll tell you what, Mr. Cratchit. I'm not going to stand for this sort of thing any longer. And therefore... And therefore, I am about to raise your salary. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you, Bob. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Bob, my good fellow. Then I have given you in many a year. I'll raise your salary and do whatever I can to help your struggling family. And we'll discuss your affairs this very afternoon over a bowl of Christmas punch. But first, let's make up the piles. I want you to go out <laughs> and buy another skeleton of tool before you dot another eye, Bob Crutchet. Off with you, Bob. We were saving to do. Hey, Bob! Yeah. Yes, sir. Right away, sir. <laughs> And Scrooge was better than his word. He did all that he said he would, and more. And to our tiny Tim, who got well, Scrooge was like a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city ever knew. And it was always silly that he knew how to keep Christmas well. And so, as tiny Tim was in, Forgiveness and redemption. A kind and generous heart. These are gifts that God offers you and me in Christmas. Gifts with which God blesses us, everyone. Let's pray. As you bow your head in prayer, if you feel comfortable doing so, would you please open your hands in front of you like you're receiving a gift from God as we pray together. And I invite you to repeat this prayer silently after me. Thank you, God. For Christmas. Thank you for sending Jesus into our world.
Thank you for forgiving me and transforming my life. Help me to become more kind, generous, and loving. Thank you, God, for Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go tell it on the mountain and over the hills and through the valleys and everywhere. But not just tell it. Let's live the good news that Jesus Christ is born. Amen? Amen. Amen. listening to this podcast of the First United Methodist Church in Turlock, California. This podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial share-alike license. For more information about our church, visit www.fumcturlock or call the church at 209-668-3000. Visitors are always welcome. And now, may the peace of the Lord dwell in your hearts this day. And may God bless you.